Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 17 through 34 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can open up to page 1319 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. 1319 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. And as you're opening up there, let me just say thank you so much to our Deacon Chairman Roger Higgins for, uh, on behalf of the church, recognizing our seven-year anniversary uh, here at First Baptist Church Gadsden. Uh, still, sometimes I'll meet folks uh, who don't know me, haven't met me yet here in Gadsden, and they'll say, what do you do? And i say, I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church of Gadsden, and they say, you're not old enough to be the pastor at First Baptist Church Gadsden. And now I have a beautiful response, which is, you're right, but you should have seen me seven years ago. Uh, I really wasn't old enough then uh, to be the pastor of First Baptist Church Gadsden. I no longer say, you know what, please don't remind me. It's what I lay in bed at night thinking about. Uh, I, don't, I don't say that anymore. You guys have loved us so well now for seven years, uh, and God has been so kind. Uh, our entire adult lives as parents at least, have practically been spent here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden. Our daughter, Emma Watts, was six months old when we moved here. And since then, uh, we have added two boys to the mix. And uh, Roger, earlier, thank you for saying that we have a growing family. I want to make it clear that they are growing in height and that we are not uh, expanding our territory in any, any way right now. Just in case anyone is wondering, it's it's just the five of us, and, and, and it seems as if that will continue to be the case. So God's been very good to us and gracious to us, and what a joy it is, what a joy it is to have gotten to spend the last seven years of our lives right here at First Baptist Church. This is, you know, we've got a house, we love Gadsden, we love where we're from, back on Sand Mountain and everything else, but right here where I'm standing right now, this room, this place is our home. We love it here, and God has been so good and kind to us. We look forward to the years to come uh, with you, our precious, sweet congregation. We love you very much. Well, most of you are precious and sweet, but you, you get the point. So as a whole, <laughs> the average is precious and sweet. If you have your Bibles, open up there with me, 1 Corinthians 11. If, you, if you've got them open, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you open our hearts and minds to receive these words, your word, as if you yourself are speaking to us directly from the page today. And God, help us apply these things to our hearts by the power of your Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For a lot of years now, I've found what we've done today fascinating. And I'm fascinated by the fact that the Lord chose supper. I'm, I'm, I'm interested by the fact that the Lord chose supper. See, God could have chosen anything to paint this picture, to, to paint the picture of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, to paint the picture of, of the unity and fellowship of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to paint the picture of, of the, the, the sustaining grace that God's given us. He, he could have chosen anything to mark our fellowship together, but there's a reason why we don't celebrate the Lord's bowling. We, 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 we celebrate the Lord's Supper. He could have chosen anything to paint this picture, but he chose a simple meal of fellowship. Basics, bread and wine. Nothing ostentatious, nothing extravagant. Just simple, day-to-day, everyday, basic sustenance. You see, the Lord's Supper is one of those things, I think, that can be frustrating for pie-in-the-sky spiritualists. I, I would guess in the early church when the first uh, wave of heretics came through. Many of them were anti-materialists. They were, they were from a little sect. They had been really influenced by uh, a little sect called Gnosticism. And they, and, they, and they advocated for a position that said that Jesus wasn't really flesh and blood and that, that our bodies are inherently evil. Not riddled with sin, but inherently evil. That, that the future in heaven would be a, just a disjointed non-physical reality that our bodies were were trash basically so i can just imagine how frustrating the lord's supper had to be for them you see because it brings heavenly realities big exploding glories down to the most common and simple of places and it prevents us from avoiding however much we might want to, flesh and blood. Because each time we eat a meal, we're reminded that we are flesh and blood. We're dependent. We're dependent 
on food and water. We're dependent on this bread and this wine to keep us going. And then these symbols are of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. We cannot, we cannot escape the fact that Christianity is embodied. It's real. Christianity breathes. It's, it's alive. Christ is alive. Christ is flesh and blood. You see, when we partake of this supper together, we are saying something. We're saying a lot, in fact, about what we believe the world is like. We're declaring as we take this supper that we believe that the world is framed, set up in terms of two advents of the same man. The first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came, he lived the perfect life and he died a sinner's death so that we might live and that death might die. This bread and this cup, as we partake of it, represent His body and His blood broken for us. His blood shed for us. We're reminded of what He did the first time He came. We're reminded of the incarnation, of the fact that Christianity is a flesh and blood religion. But we also believe that the world is not just framed by that first advent, but also by the second advent, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we recognize and confess that when he comes back again he's going to defeat all of his enemies and what he's going to do is he's going to gather us all around his table and have supper with us all into the world we'll have supper when we eat this meal as a church we're reminded of how we got to that place and we long for the better bread and the better wine on that day you know God could have chosen anything to paint this picture for us Jesus could have chosen anything to represent his body and to represent his blood he could have celebrated with us any way he chose but the Lord chose supper it's so simple and yet so important for the Lord's church this morning I want to present to you from this text three truths that we need to consider as we develop our understanding of the Lord's supper as we consider what it means for us to take the Lord's Supper together as a church over the years, I hope these three truths will frame the Lord's Supper for you, will inform the Lord's Supper for you. I hope that it'll be more than what my kids call this time, which is when we eat that little cracker and drink that little juice in church. I hope it'll be more for you than that, but I sure hope it won't be less. Because at the end of the day, there's a brewing, brooding, great, magnificent glory that is so simple. At the end of the day, it's a little cracker. It's a little cup of juice. It's a supper that we have together. I want to show you these three truths this morning as we develop our understanding of the Lord's Supper. Here's the first. First point. The Lord's Supper fosters unity. The Lord's Supper fosters unity. Unity. You see, the supper table brings us together. Earlier uh, this year and late last year, Whitney and I uh, made a commitment and decided we wanted to start eating supper together more often as a family. Now, we've got little kids, and any of you that have little kids, the hard part is not getting everybody at the table. Some of y'all have older children, and that's the hard part for you, right? Getting everybody to the table. That's not our problem. It's keeping everybody at the table. That's the problem at our household. Uh, that, that's, that's where the challenge lies for us, keeping everybody there. And, and so, but we made a commitment. We said, what, if people are running off and running around and, and doing this and doing that, that's fine. But we're going to spend 
time together as a family at the supper table. And some of our most meaningful conversations, most meaningful times together are spent around the supper table. And, and we all recognize the importance of that because the supper table brings us together. It, it, it's where we're all together. In fact, what we do as a family is we sit down and we, we do a little game, a little, a little thing we call highs and lows. And we talk about the best thing from the day and the worst thing from the day. And some, some of our children really love every time to highlight their favorite thing. And some of our kids have a list of their worst things. You know, that just they, that some are half glass full, some are half glass half empty. But the bottom line is we're all there together. And we're in that together. And we're united as we talk about our day, as we talk about this day that we've just experienced, we're united. And we must recognize as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the Lord's Supper table, that's a reminder that we are all one. There is no place at the Lord's table for divisions. It is a great equalizer in so many ways because it's a reminder that each and every one of us is dependent on the Lord's grace. It's a picture that we needed the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us to be united to God and and therefore if if that bridge can be divided divided then whatever bridge we've got between us is is infinitesimal compared to what we owed God and yet he forgave us and so we ought to be able to come together as a congregation because of what Christ has done for us there are no divisions at the Lord's table you see here a couple of different kinds of divisions that Paul's highlighting here at the church at Corinth. One was divisions of selfishness. Divisions of selfishness. And I'm 99% sure that most of the church's divisions in the modern church, most big church fights I've heard about, most big church divisions I've heard about, now there's occasions where it's not the case, but most big church fights I've seen are divisions of selfishness. It's where one group of folks wants their way, and another group of folks wants their way. And the gospel's not big enough to either group to bring them together. What's more important to them is getting their way. And that's what's happening here at Corinth. What's, what's happening at Corinth is that people are coming together and folks are hungry, folks are ready, folks have brought their own food. And guess what they're ready to do? They're like some folks I saw the other day waiting at a restaurant. It was a new restaurant and they didn't have the whole dining room open. And I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm an observer of people. I enjoy watching people. So those of you watching at home, if you ever see me in public, I'm watching you. Everybody else knows to tighten up when they see me, but I'm watching everybody. I love to watch people. And I, I began to see a little mutiny arising there in the waiting area of the restaurant as the people who had been waiting there for a little bit uh, just to eat lunch start looking around and realizing there's a bunch of empty tables out in the dining room. Their stomach's growling a little bit. And then that logic, you know, that good old boy logic starts to kick in and they start to realize, you know, I'm sitting here, but nobody's sitting there. And I'd like to be sitting there, so why can't I sit there? And so they begin to kind of pace. Y'all know, know what I mean? You know, everybody's got that sort of, sort of pace they do kind of checking, peeking up over the ledge here, looking around, come back over. Then they start to meet new friends who feel the same way. Can you believe this? I mean, have you, have you noticed there's tables out there? And then everybody says, yeah, you know, me too. And the next thing you know, right, 
Next thing you know, everybody's upset because they're not sitting down to be eaten. I think this is what's going on at Corinth. My goodness, this person, they're taking forever. I, I, I'm just ready to eat. It's time to eat. I'm hungry. Let's eat. They're being selfish. It's about them. It's about them eating. So there are divisions of selfishness, but I think you also have here some divisions of status. Some people are going hungry because they don't have enough to bring. And other people are building a fence around what they brought to the potluck. This is our potluck, not yours. This is, this is my wine. This is my bread. This is for me. To the point that some people have nothing and some people have enough to even get drunk on. The church. What a shame it is. But you see, the Lord's table, Paul tells us, unites us in the most important way. It unites us through Christ. Because Paul's answer to these divisions is the Lord's Supper. It is feasting together and seeing our fellowship together as defined by the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What unites us? The gospel of Jesus Christ unites us. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. So Paul begins to give these instructions on what it means for them to take the Lord's Supper together. Brothers and sisters, when we come to this table, we do not come to this table according to how we feel, according to our own preferences. We do not come to this table as people who have a lot or people who don't have anything. We all come to this table sinners equally before God recipients of grace equally before God and people who desperately need Christ equally before God the Lord's Supper fosters unity the supper table brings us together but furthermore the Lord's Supper fosters belief that's our second point this morning the Lord's Supper fosters belief you see the supper table is a place for learning. The, the supper table is a place for learning. Now, I've learned at our supper table at home and at the supper table of others, it's a good place to learn things you didn't know. It's a good place to learn things you didn't know. So the other thing we do at the supper table, not only do we talk about our days and share a sort of unity in that, but also we like to play games at the supper table. Some of y'all may do the similar kind of thing, and each child has a certain game they prefer to play the most but Ford our, our middle son he turns six tomorrow and Ford's favorite game to play is name the Pixar character and he is for his entire lifetime undefeated he's never lost a game of name the Pixar character and I've watched all the Pixar movies of my kids more times than I can count but I'm going to tell you something. Every time I go to the supper table with Ford and we play learn, name the Pixar character, I learn about a Pixar character I didn't know about. You know, it'll be like the guy who opened a door for somebody. You know, he just remembers all these characters, just these seemingly non-essential, non-consequential characters. Ford remembers them all. But it's a place to learn. And so often Whitney and I will take time at the supper table to teach our children things. Questions come up. Questions come up about God. Questions come up about people. Questions come up about school, about the way the world works, about this, about that. And it's a time to learn. And we recognize then as a church when we come to the supper table, the supper table is a place for learning. It's a place 
to learn. What does Paul say? I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That is, I got something from Jesus and I gave it to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. In other words, we're reminded of the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. Every time we come to the Lord's table, brothers and sisters, we learn something. And it fosters our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It strengthens and deepens our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because every time we come together at this table, at this supper table, we are living out the gospel literally. You know, so often as a preacher, you hear people say things like, I, I want something practical. I, I want something practical. Some of you may teach Sunday school and you may hear that sometimes. I'd like something. I need something practical. And I, I understand that, that challenge, that frustration that folks have. Because so often Christianity can come across as this sort of pie in the sky kind of thing. We're talking about big glories and, and the beauty of Christ and the big picture of the gospel and everything else. And, and we want something practical. But let me ask you this question, brothers and sisters. What is there? What is there that's more practical? What picture has God given us? What method of recalibration? What, what, what act has God given us that's more practical than the act of eating and drinking? What's he given us to do that's more simple and more tangible than eating and drinking? What a beautiful reminder of the gospel each time we come together that Christ's body is broken for us. What a, what a, a point of decision we're brought to each time as we have to examine our own hearts. What, what point of decision we brought to each time as we come together to take the Lord's Supper to ask ourselves, are we genuinely united right now? Or is there some division that I've got with another brother or sister that I need to deal with even now, what is there that's more practical? What more lived out faith is there than the lived out faith of eating and drinking together with the Lord's people? And there's such a beautiful privilege in the Lord's Supper. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, it's fostering belief not only in us, but this is also part of the work of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Christ, that we are declaring to others that we are united by Jesus, that we are saved by Jesus, and that we are sustained by Jesus as we take this supper together. This is part and parcel of our work of proclamation until he returns. This is such an important part of the ordinary glory of the Lord's church, doing something so simple something so practical, something so basic that everyone in the world does, and yet we do it unto the glory of God, reminding ourselves each time we do it, and being reminded by God each time we do it that it is Christ who sustains us. It is Christ who has drawn us to himself. It's Christ who continues his work through us. And that leads us to the final point this morning, and it's this. The Lord's Supper fosters all the, the, the Lord's Supper is awe-inspiring. It fosters awe. You see, the supper table is a place of awe and glory. Looking back over the years, it's amazing to me that God has sustained me through food. 
I'm awed by the fact that so many of my most precious memories in my life are memories of, of the simpleness of just being at the table with my family and eating. And each and every one of us recognize then that God is doing something spectacular at this supper table. What does the Bible tell us? Verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. You see, the, the, the Lord's Supper and the supper table produces in us an awe of respect. That we respect God because we respect the Lord's table. And so Paul reminds us here that we must live holy lives. That there's an awe of holiness that comes in. And there's also an awe of seriousness where we come to this table and recognize that we must take this seriously. We live holy lives. We judge ourselves correctly. And then when we come together to eat, we're not selfish. We wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, eat at home. Be prepared, he says. So think of others in the process. And so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Brothers and sisters, we must take the Lord's Supper seriously. And it's up to each and every one of you to do that. I have friends and brethren who physically fence the table. If they believe that someone's not worthy of the table, uh, if they're not living the life as they should, they will physically prevent them from taking the Lord's Supper. They ask people not to. Now, we don't do that here. I, I believe Paul tells us for each person to examine themselves. And so it's up to you and your conscience to determine whether or not you should or should not take the Lord's Supper. Now, what we try to do is give clear parameters for who we believe the Bible says should or shouldn't. But the bottom line is what we should all take from this passage is this, that we ought to have an awe of respect, an awe that leads to holiness, and an awe of seriousness when it comes to the things of God. And the Lord's Supper is a regular reminder of those things for us. You see, brothers and sisters, every single Sunday as we come together in the Lord's church, there is a glory that's brewing around us. There is a bigness that we can't see in just the simplicity of shaking hands and drinking coffee and spending time together and, and eating this Lord's Supper together. There, there, there's an there's a, a, a awe and a glory that surrounds this. And, and when you think about it, God could have given us so many different things to inspire in us all. God is so glorious, and He's capable of so many things. He, he gave the children of Israel a pillar of fire by day, and a, a pillar of fire by night, and a pillar of smoke or clouds by day. He split the Red Sea in front of His people. There, there are so many ways that we could be reminded here every Sunday of His glory and driven to awe. And yet, because He loves us, because He cares for us, because he wants to keep our feet on the ground. Because he doesn't want us to forget what Christ has done for us. Because he doesn't want us to forget that we're a family that have been brought together by Christ. God chose supper. God chose supper. I, I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time, today I... I want you to know that he stands with open arms ready. If you'll repent of your sins, turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, I believe he will save you. And second of all, 
Second of all, you may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, I, I've not been taking the Lord's Supper as seriously as I should, and I just want some time to pray this morning. This altar is open to you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. No matter what it is you need, I'm available for you this morning. And after this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his gospel. And God, what a, a beautiful reminder the Lord's Supper is for us of your glory. And may we all be in awe of what you have done for us and what you continue to do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.